1: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome back to the New Books and Indian Religions podcast, a podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balcarong. Um, We'll be speaking about a fascinating uh, uh, book today called Letters from the Yoga Masters. And of course, I have the pleasure of speaking with the book's author, uh, Muggs McConnell, who is the founder of the South Okanagan Yoga Academy in British Columbia. Muggs, welcome to the podcast. Hi. And it's nice to associate a name with a face. We've been emailing for some weeks, and here we are, (laughs) face-to-face on Zoom.
0: Yes, for sure. It's really nice to make that connection.
1: Um, Tell us a bit about how this book came about.
0: Well, when I was first interested in yoga in the 1970s, I couldn't find a teacher and through various channels, I was led to a Latvian man named Dr. Hari Dickman who lived in California and he was in his eighties at the time. So we started writing back and forth and I learned through my time with him that his teachings were done through letters And I have this bundle of letters from over 50 years of teachings uh, from various different yoga masters in India and around the world. And those were our textbooks when we studied.
1: You know, that's really what a profound and unique opportunity that you've stumbled across written correspondence over decades from well-known masters. I mean, I imagine that there are not so many bundles to be stumbled across uh, <laughs> as the as the one you, you, you chanced upon do you know of any other such uh, corpus of of correspondence
0: no i don't know of anything like this there's over 750 letters and some of them were 30 pages long and from a a hundred different teachers from various different lineages. Some of the letters, because he started yoga in the 1920s and 30s, he lost a number of the letters or they were destroyed because of the war and he was put in displaced persons camps. So there's a few letters from 1930 from Ramana Maharshi's uh, ashram and a couple other places, but mostly after the war.
1: So, it, so more thirty thousand foot view in terms of the era and what was going on. Do you have a sense that it was it was common for individuals to have this sort of correspondence with spiritual masters and their movements, or do you feel that it was more of a function of this this figure? and the way in which he related to them?
0: There were a few, actually. Uh, Ramana Maharshi, Maharshi, I have a a copy of a newspaper article where he had some foreign bhaktas from around the world, uh, from Latvia, Switzerland, uh, England. In fact, uh, Paul Brunton, who wrote the In search of secret India was one of his disciples at the at the same time. So, and I know that Swami Shivananda also had some disciples in various different places around the world. He had a beautiful list of them in one of his books that Hari had but i i couldn't put them all in the book so they had some disciples that they would write to and Swami Shivananda even sent a a recording i don't know what it would have been on but maybe one of those really thick letters to teach Hari how to say some mantras so they were pretty devoted
1: i'm just so i'm so utterly fascinated by this we have um distance learning (laughs)
0: We do, we do, <laughs> and for a long time.
1: <laughs> I, prefer, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't feel so out of place now Um, giving traditional uh, parampara teachings online at the <laughs> online uh, School of Indian Wisdom, among other places. <laughs> but listen, this is this is something because, you know, uh, before we even get into the book, I really have to dive into this process and what you know about it. Was he vetted in some way? Would they have been as gracious and copious with anyone who who who... Who, who wrote them a letter or it, how, how were there sort of bureaus that they had to keep up with the letters? Like, how did this all work?
0: Well, I think that they would have been vetted and that would come through fairly quickly with how they wrote their questions and in the letters. I know that uh, Paramahansa Yogananda was writing him before he was a Paramahansa. So there's letters from Swami Yogananda and, uh, some of the teachings that he taught Hari undoubtedly became part of the SRF letters or teachings that they do through correspondence. Uh, I feel that some of the teachers were extremely taken by Hari. I know that the Swami Shivananda f- considered Hari's Center. He started the center of yoga in Latvia in the 1930s, and there's been quite a bit of research done on that in the Latvian university. And they he would send materials for Hari to teach uh, Shivananda yoga in Latvia at this center, as did Paramahansa Yogananda send teachings for him to. Uh, Introduced people to kriya yoga and so they trusted him they believed in him. Uh, Paramahansa Yogananda was very dedicated and when Hari was in the displaced persons camps for about five years, he tirelessly worked to get him to United States, which is how he came to United States in 1952 they never did meet. Yogananda passed away before Hari ever was able to meet him, but he brought him from the displaced persons camps in Germany to the United States.
1: Well, thank you for the context because I didn't want to put words in your mouth uh, or, or anyone's mouth for that matter. But I really got the sense—I got the sense that of course there was correspondence going on, but I got the sense that he was chosen, anointed. He was adhikar in some way. I got one gets the sense that these masters could sense that he's ripe, and whether by choice or karma or daiva or whatever. You can only receive this through correspondence <laughs> and so I find this utterly fascinating because there's so many stellar students I've had the chance to come across and there's no possible way we'd work out our uh, we'd work out uh, these transmissions in in the in in real time because it involves various uh, cities and, and, and continents at times and I just it, this book opened my mind up to the notion that this sort of exhaustion of lineal karma with students across distance has been going on before the internet.
0: (laughs) Yes, it really has. And think about the patience they must have had for the letters to arrive with their questions and the process of asking questions sending it in the mail, waiting for the responses to come back, then more clarification through more questions. It was really a process of pulling these thoughts together from letter to letter to letter.
1: And, and you know, uh, you know, when you dip your quill into some sort of ink and apply it to parchment <laughs> <at> your, <laughs> in your study or what have you, it's a very different experience where you write with intention and, one realizes, one receives it. If I were to uh, uh, type you a note and email it to you or put it in an envelope and mail it to you, you would receive it differently. And this bespeaks to me the notion that in the information age, it's quite easy to send words across, but those words have much less meaning at times, purpose, and they certainly are received with much less attention and awareness because of how profusely we send um, you know, I have this thing where I say to folks, you know, students, family members, for me, text message is for information, not correspondence. I'm going yes. to be late. Can you pick up dinner? It's not for, you know, hi, how are you? You know, you know, what do you think of, it? right? And so I'm not sure that we all have that sort of disambiguation, but it actually makes sense to me that the sorts of questions that, that he was asking about the slow-burning issues of, of 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 human awareness and, and personal development and Indianism traditions actually befits the pace of snail mill because you have all that time to integrate <laughs> and reflect yes. in between letters.
0: Yes, exactly. That's a wonderful point. And and we're so blessed with the fact that it was written in letters so that it's been maintained because we don't hang on to all of our emails.
1: (laughs) Thank goodness we don't. (laughs) Um, uh, But you can tell sometimes by the tone or or one can tell when one is receiving a letter via email versus an email, right? Yes, and then, then the, the tricky, you know, how, do you use dear even for, for professional emails, like dear so-and-so or not? It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a thing. Um, another quick question that I have for you about the context period before we dive into the book proper is, do you have a sense that either these masters or uh, Dr. Dickman-Huddy that um, either of them were aware that these letters would have a larger audience at some point? Or do you think they were writing just for each other?
0: Uh, They were writing them for each other, for sure. And uh, there would have been specifics that were intended to be shared if they sent books or pamphlets for Hari to share with people in Latvia. So they knew he was teaching in Latvia. In fact, he was teaching in the displaced persons camp. So I just think of those wonderful recipients of this knowledge under those difficult conditions. But in but the questions were specific to his practices in general. And I didn't get to see the questions, I got to see the answers to the questions.
1: I understand, um, I I completely get from the correspondence that they were corresponding to each other and then referring to others where need be. But I wondered, as in the case sometimes of um, prominent, uh, you know, folks attached to the courts of Europe, they were well aware that their letters would be read by others at some point. I wonder if there was that awareness or is it just that we get to, because the letters are rich, They're, they're extraordinarily rich. And I wonder if if they had a sense that these would be read by a larger public at some point or not.
0: Yes, it's a very good question. And I really don't know the answer yeah,
1: to it. well, I, I don't think any of us, any of us will, but uh, it's just something that I muse aloud as I, as, I, as I peruse some of these letters. Now, okay, so you inherit a, a, a bunch of letters who <laughs> were written by some of the most towering figures of, um, of, of Indian spirituality <laughs> of the last century. Yeah. Um, and then what? What was your process like? How did you organize them? What did you do with them?
0: Well, first of all, when I studied in person with Hari, so we first started by correspondence, and then he invited me to study with him. But before I could do that, he wanted me to go away for a teacher training or some other way to study because he didn't want to start at rock bottom. (laughs) So these were deeper teachings and he didn't want to start from scratch. So uh, he sent me off to study with Swami Vishnu Devananda. And then from there, he invited me to study with him. So he indicated through uh, the method of bringing out bundles of letters from specific people that these were pretty important letters. And so during the time I studied with him, he passed away. But I knew which letters to him were of the greatest importance. So I, I focused on those. What had happened is I was typing notes on all of the teachings while he was giving them to me. I was writing notes and typing notes and in my own kind of shorthand. And when I came back to Canada after he had passed away and after I I spent some extra time in his home, continuing to uh, make notes from letters that we hadn't completed study with. It was in the home of Janendra and Catherine Jane that Hari had rented a room from so they let me stay on for a while afterward so then I knew the the material that was important and all of my notes were stolen somebody robbed me from my apartment and stole all of my notes so when we think of karma the beauty of karma I was devastated but uh, Catherine then allowed me to photocopy all of the original letters, 750 of them, which took quite a bit of time to do. So in this process, the beauty was when the book was written, I needed to get permission from the ashrams of the authors of the letters, and they wanted to see the real letter, the real letterhead, the real signatures to know that it was true. So if all I had had was my notes, that never would have been the case. So the sifting through the letters were from my memories and thoughts of what Hari had taught me and what was the most important. And then there was a process of, okay, he's asked this question in 1948. So who wrote him letters in 1948? in this range of 1948. And I would pull out those letters, I had them all organized by the authors of the letters, the way he had organized them. And then I would search who he asked the question of, do you retain the breath in after doing Bastrika or whatever. And so, uh, and then that's how I would follow the, the process of here's the questions, here's the answers from various different lineages.
1: In going through <laughs> some of the content in this, in these letters, it's abundantly clear to me that these teachers had initiated him and he was working from within their tradition, albeit from a different cultural context by birth in a different uh, city or continent or location by correspondence because of the content. What they're sharing with them, folks don't share on the internet folks don't share publicly the, 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 um, the detail uh, about the practices, I find that utterly fascinating. Um, do you want to say a word about, um, tell us about the structure of the chapters? Because what I wanted to ask about is say a word about the, um, the content of the letters. But I think that <laughs> telling us about the chapters will, will give us a scaffolding for that.
0: OK, that's a great idea. <clears throat> so I first started by introducing some of the, the main teachers of Hari, specifically Paramhansa Yogananda, Swami Shivananda, Sraswatiya Vrishikesh, and Ramana Maharshi, just to give a sense of their relationship with Hari and how beautiful the relationship was. Then I thought one of the easiest ways to take some of the content was to break it down through the eight limbs of yoga, of the Ashtanga yoga. So the some of the yamas and niyamas, not all of them, but the idea of them there. And then a little bit of the asana. Asana was a set, certainly secondary in the process. Then into pranayama, mudras and bandhas. Uh, Pratyahara, Dharana, so concentration, meditation, and Samadhi, Kundalini awakening, and then I, there was parts of the letters that were just amazing stories, just sharing what's it like to live in an ashram. How did you decide you wanted to become a Swami, Uh, Ambubachi Day, and Uh, Svara yoga, the science of the breath, these, these wonderful stories that were exchanged with Hari, and I just couldn't leave them out of the book. So that was the end part of the book. So the first part is relationship with the swamis, the middle part is techniques. And then the ending part is stories. Then just for the sake of people's understanding, I created a couple of appendices in it. One is the, the displaced person camp. So where Hari lived from Latvia to displaced persons camps to California uh, or New York originally and then California. And then I put in appendices of all of the letters, everybody who ha- who. Had a letter in the book in the end notes, and what lineages he he studied, and if there was an asterisk beside the person's name, then they had their letter is included somewhere in the book, and if there's no asterisk, then they wrote him, but they weren't included in the book, and a, dic- a glossary so people could understand some of the terminology.
1: Do you get the sense that there were Teachers or lineages that he was most resonant with or that he relied on the most? Or do you get the sense that um, uh, all, all chefs were equally welcome to the buffet?
0: Well, there was definitely preference. So, uh, Kriya Yoga was very important to him from the Self Realization Fellowships, uh, Paramahansa Yogananda, and Swami Shivananda of rishikesh really influenced him as well and one of the the key traits of swami shivananda that i learned through hari and valued was that he was adept at many different pathways whether it was hatha yoga raja yoga vedanta so he was able to determine where the disciple or student's interest lay and then be able to feed them the wisdom through that best channel. And that was a unique uh, trait, I felt, of his. There was another teacher that he extremely valued, which is uh, Swami Vishnu Turt. And there are many letters from Swami Vishnu Tirt that He also appreciated, and that was from the Siddha Yoga pathway.
1: Were there there letters, or was there content that particularly stood out to you or surprised you?
0: Yes. And I loved the information about Swara Yoga, the, the science of the breath. And that was a letter I remembered uh, spending quite a bit of time with or a series of letters. And for the life of me, I couldn't find them when I was writing the book. And I had letters all over the living room floor and just looking for this content. And the letter, the book was already at the publishers, and I felt it's okay, I can just publish it without this material in it. But In the end, one day, I finally found it and we were nearing the stages of final editing and I begged the editor, please let me add this in, which is why it ended up in the great stories or delicious stories section as opposed to in the pranayama section. Uh, But I was able to put that in. There was another wonderful content in the delicious stories from uh, Swami Shivananda Saraswati, of um, uh, bengal so he wasn't from uh, rishikesh and he uh, of asam the ashram was in Assam, and he would write these amazing stories of hiking up the mountainside and meditating and coming out of meditation and having a tiger sleeping beside him and the, the just beautiful stories of the relationship with nature and life around the ashram prior to the uh, Second World War.
1: What, um, how do I say, what is the current, would you say that one could transform or distill from these letters a manual, a, a teaching tool? Would you say that there is, a specific path, manual uh, method? Or would you say that it really would be too variegated and too diverse for that?
0: I wouldn't say it would be too diverse. When we study yoga, we realize that there are numerous different methods and ways to do things. And it is a science. And so when we study different lineages, they have honed the science the way it works best for them. So whether you retain the breath or you don't retain the breath, or you know, re- you repeat the mantra with the breath or you repeat it, not engaged in the breath. Each of the lineages have their specifics. So part of the purpose is in Hari's love of understanding yoga more thoroughly, when those contradictions arose, he would consult with the teachers and ask why. And, you know, do you do it this way? Do you do it that way? So in some ways, it dispels some mystery. Of course, there's the the pathway of just sticking to one lineage. And then it's very direct, and you don't have any confusion but there's others of us who appreciate understanding different pathways and and the wisdom that they have to offer. So I think that there's part of that in there. Uh, There will be the need to read through the techniques as they are shared from start to finish before you try to do them. Part of the reason for that is some of the ashrams, when they gave me permission, would not allow me to edit anything, it had to be as it was written, whereas others would allow me to edit the content for the purpose of making it read more smoothly. So when we write a letter to someone, we often explain something and then say, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you this. (laughs) So it's an after-the-fact thought. And in those cases where I couldn't edit the flow of the letter, that's how it's come out. So it's much better to read it, contemplate it, and practice it. And what I've been working on recently is recording on youtube the techniques working through the techniques in a smooth flow so that rather than having to read it and uh, then try and remember it to practice it i just guide people through the practices
1: well we should definitely link to the podcast notes your youtube channel thank you yes who would you say would most benefit from reading this book who's this book for
0: I would say the book is for, for sure, students who want to understand philosophically why we're practicing yoga. Uh, If you're, if you're merely interested in asana, then this is not the book for you. (laughs) But if you really want to understand philosophy and the depth of practices, then it's a really wonderful book. And many people have told me that they get a lot more out of it if they read it twice. (laughs) So the first time is the initial exposure and the second time we get deeper comprehension from it. So if uh, I find that it's kind of nice to switch back and forth from techniques into stories and not just bombard yourself with techniques, all of the techniques I've tried to relate somehow to my relationship with Hari and our time together. So just why it meant something to me, why I ended up choosing it, because it was important to him to share it with me. So there's mantra, beautiful meditations using mantra, understanding the purpose of the mantra, the various pranayama techniques, many that will incorporate mantra to use as the pacing, such as the long form Gayatri, Ombur, the repetition of the seven locusts as a pacing for your pranayama. So uh, we definitely incorporate them into our yoga teacher training program, these techniques, because they they're so rich and so unique. You know, so many of these techniques have not been written anywhere else. So,
1: indeed, this is the tension. This is the tension between prioritizing what's in written form versus what's in someone's experience or memory. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say that the content in this book can be engaged directly and applied? Or would you say that it needs to be engaged under supervision or with a teacher of some sort?
0: Um, I think that the um, beginner student would find it challenging. Would find it challenging. So for those that want to delve deeper and have some exposure to various techniques like uh, alternate nostril breathing or Bastrika or uh, brahmari pranayama but the youtube is definitely there to assist in the process the the guided visualizations from the tantra yoga are i've you know put visuals there on the youtube of the the passageways the psychic passageways and how you move your mind through the psychic psychic passageways through the chakras so If you have a bit of foundation knowledge on the chakras, et cetera, uh, I do guide people with those. But I think it's always wonderful to have a good foundation for sure. And I'm the kind of person, I still have students from numerous years ago, 20 odd years ago, who still write me questions. And I love that. I love that they want to ask me questions you know, I'm, I'm always there. Yoga is my path, my life.
1: Fascinating. Um, Do you, let's maybe um, talk about the larger yoga audience, those who might be interested in this book. Um, So it's probably yoga probably means a number of things, a number of people and, you know, um, for many, it's fitness. uh, For probably many more throughout the world, it's a path to, Um, enlightenment and it's probably a variety of 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 things in between that could you talk a little bit about your perspective about that discussion about yoga and the context of yoga and and and, uh, spirituality surrounding yoga as you're looking at these as you call them yoga masters especially from the perspective of of having been active in um, the teaching of yoga in the west for for decades now would you mind sharing a bit of your experience of, of the scene?
0: Yes. <laughs> yoga is such a rich lifestyle. And for many people, the going to a yoga asana class is a great introduction. And that's, for a lot of them, all they walked in the door for. I have found over the years that when they continue it, they get a little spark of, well, there's more to this than I thought. So what is that? And that is definitely my hope, that for people, they will move beyond the initial cover of the book, <laughs> Yoga Asana, and into the beautiful richness that it offers. Because it starts right from how we behave and think and how we wish to express ourselves in this. It teaches us how to live in a positive way in everything that we do and maintain the health and wellness of our body in order to be the vehicle for our journey in this lifetime. For the for those who want to move into the spiritual aspects, it, really guides us to know the spirit and not be afraid of all aspects of life which includes death and so it's a full package and if all we do is scratch the surface with asana we miss so much of it and uh, truth be known there's you know teachers who just can't teach that because they haven't been exposed to it themselves and then there are those that can but maybe their venue isn't the right venue for it so i encourage teachers (coughs) share what you know wisdom is to be given away (coughs) and for especially for those who are seeking it and i encourage students to go deeper find out what's there because it's so exciting it's just such a wonderful wonderful path of life
1: one of something that's greatly interested me um i'm an armchair ethnographer (laughs) i enjoy people i enjoy learning from life and from other people's journeys. And then every once in a while, I decide to uh, <laughs> enter witness mode and see what I can learn from the life of Raj. <laughs> mm-hmm. And one of the great intrigues of the ethnographic data that is the life of Raj is this wisdom school that he's founded. It's a school of Indian wisdom. Uh, it draws heavily from from um, spiritual, mythological, philosophical traditions of ancient India. There is nothing in the offerings or the branding that that all talked about yoga and yet over half of the students who come are not just interested in yoga they're yoga teachers and it I found this utterly fascinating it it just bespeaks um, a thirst on behalf of a strand of yoga teachers and practitioners for Indian wisdom traditions to the point where <laughs> after a course at yoga uh, yogic studies i was approached to do this book st- the stories behind the poses and yes. now it's much clearer to me <laughs> it's much clearer to me now the connection between what i normally do and think about which is the the syncretic storied spiritual soil of ancient india uh, I, I much more clearly understand the connection between that and modern yoga movements um, where there's a certain overlap um what do you make of this What do you make of this? Do you feel that um yoga do you feel that yoga will always be a physical practice for for a majority of Western practitioners? Do you feel it necessary to have a spiritual component? Do you feel like I would love your perspective on the situation
0: Well, I feel that in the Western society as yoga, you know, when I started yoga in the 70s, there was a lot of fear about yoga. So that lack of knowledge resulted in fear. And, you know, I was greeted by circumstances where certain people would fear it so much that they wouldn't allow their babysitter to come to my yoga classes. Uh, because they were practicing yoga. So I think one of the things that's so great is since the 70s, I've seen dramatic changes. And the more that healthcare begins to investigate and research yoga, uh, some of those fears break down because our professionals are recognizing the benefits of yoga and meditation and pranayama. So time is shifting the awareness of yoga, but I still believe my own personal perspective is we Westerners will be way more strongly rooted in asana than we will be in the full picture of yoga. And over the decades, we've had different people in introduce meditation such as, uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi was one that really, you know, brought an exposure to, of meditation to the public to introduce that aspect. Uh, I would love to see a more enriched and full way of teaching and sharing yoga because it is such a, a gift. But I still think that most will be rooted in asana and i guess maybe you know if i looked at it in terms of our uh, spiritual evolution sometimes it takes lifetimes to where you want to move more into the spiritual aspects so it may not happen in this lifetime if certain people believe in reincarnation
1: Mm, fascinating what are you currently working on? Um, are, are, do these published letters continue to be an object of study or um, inspiration or, or, or teaching? Or, you know, what, you, what are you doing now, whether related to this book or not?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the book, even though uh, I put the book together, <laughs> I'm still a student of the book as well because the teachings are so rich, 50 years of teachings in, in this book. So my own copy of the book has many sticky notes in it and I, I practice and read from it and enrich it uh, or it, it enriches my own personal practice. I, we're, we're, our school is a Yoga Alliance registered school, so a standards change I work on uh, that and the book is very much integrated into our yoga teacher training program. And working on the videos to make it easier for people to practice the techniques, the the chakra meditations and uh, pranayama techniques and so it's nice to to work on the videos as well. So uh, the book. I have been extremely influenced by Hari in my lifetime and I'm eternally grateful for him to have taught me and so I continue to share the teachings in the best way that I can with others because he certainly gifted me however it unfolded he gifted me with these letters and I feel that it's Wonderful to share them with others to let them go out into the world uh, with the blessings of the lineages that those masters came from.
1: That's quite literally parampara from one to another. It certainly
0: is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did you have any um, anything else you wanted to share about the book or your work or your path? um i'm feeling generous today so you can even ask me questions if you want to switch so um is there anything else if you'd like to touch on
0: <laughs> well there's one thing i'd really like to mention about hari when i said he was a very humble man he in his 80s as well he was uh very childlike. But this is one story that I always love to share about him. When he would write me letters and uh, have me ask my questions of him, he would ask me to mail him chocolate. He really loved good quality chocolate. So in my letters to him, I would uh, send him chocolate. And when we studied together philosophy, he would always bring out uh, chocolate. And so one day I asked him, do you think that you will be enlightened in this lifetime? And he said, I don't know.
1: The attachment really, to chocolate.
0: I really like chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> and so oh he would make a little ceremony of it. And when he would get a letter or study philosophy, he would savor chocolate through the process so just want to give people permission to enjoy chocolate <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> um uh, i suppose i had better uh you know i'm a teetotaler but i suppose i had better work on that starbucks vice uh, <laughs> that attachment
0: <laughs> yes yes
1: uh, i really enjoy uh um I really appreciate you talking about his playfulness. Um, uh, in in my experience of the masters that I've worked with, primarily my own teacher, who incidentally spend a bit of time um, with the Shivananda Rishikesh in his youth. But nevertheless, um, <laughs> I once in a while will have a student ask me this quite literally: <laughs> <laughs> "Why do you laugh so much?" <laughs> <laughs> Or, um, but not in a disparaging way, in a surprising way, amid the the profundity and complexity, and um, or another one is, um, you know, along the lines of of of, you know, I, you know the way I see it, um, uh, it, it, joy is who we are. <laughs> Yeah. And, yes. and life gets in the way. <laughs> so if you can sort of like, you know, beat the crowd out of your life, I mean, what's 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 left? What's left? Peace and joy. But Peace that's far that's far too much of a hippie dippy idea for so serious a podcast. And so um <laughs> unless there's anything else you want to say or, or ask, um, we'll close for today. How's that?
0: Thank you. I'm so grateful. I did want to say th- I'm so grateful for your uh your book on um, our beautiful gods and goddesses and the sharing of that and helping people to understand the beautiful stories and myths behind them. Yeah, I have waited for this uh, kind of book with delight, the the drawings, the pictures are full of delight. And I think it really is a, a gift for us on this journey of yoga so blessings to you raj thank you very very much for that
1: you're you're very very welcome thank you it was it was it was a joy it was a labor of love and purpose to produce and just as you say with these letters even the author of that book who rendered translated rendered retold those stories even he is constantly learning from those very stories (laughs) (laughs) all right well um thank you for appearing today and for those of you listening, uh, we have been speaking with uh, Mugs McConnell on an absolutely fascinating uh, and, and and there is a unique work that documents decades of correspondence between a, an ardent uh, Western seeker and a number of um, very high-profile spiritual masters. So uh, do check the book out. Until next time, uh, keep well, keep listening keep reading and keep contemplating the power of correspondence. (laughs) Take care.